This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Live. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another amazing episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibe Nation. As always, I'm your host, Tia, and I'm joined with me today by Brittany. How are you doing, Brittany? Doing good, doing good. I was going to say that intro never gets old. I still find myself mouthing it every time. The Top 10, the Top 10. I'm like, gosh darn it, Tia. Well, I hope it never gets old because it'll probably be the one that we're gonna have for a very long time. I thought you were talking about me. Go- I thought you were talking about me going hello, 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 and I'm like, yeah, I don't have any other shtick other than that, so we're just gonna stick with it. Well, I did notice that too. I was like, man, I was like, that's just Tia's thing. You know, everyone needs their own little special introduction, and I guess that's mine. Mine is talking about the cats. <laughs> How are the cats doing today? They they're good. I just heard Toby. Uh, you you know in cartoons when something runs so fast they like move in like one place for a hot second before they actually go. That was Toby. Oh okay. Well, you know my cats are all chilling right now. The dog is out because Polly is out. So. It's a little calm right now, but I'm sure at some point while I'm doing this, they're going to, like, run back in and all chaos is going to break loose. But that is neither here nor there. We are doing the top ten, and it is the top ten movies in 2019. Yes, we are so very close to the end of 2019, which is crazy to think that 2020 is upon us. Um There's a lot of things that are daunting about that. Not only the year itself coming to an end, the decade coming to the end, and the realization that my uh, months as a 29-year-old are coming to an end because in March I will literally be 30. Oh, it's the beginning. Fresh decade, fresh Tia. (laughs) Apparently. It's, It's very easy to remember how old I am depending on what year it is. 2019, 29, 2018, 28. Very easy that way. But my whole thing is I remember last year, right, when we were compiling, say, um, like our top 10 2018 list. And I remember in 2018, I barely saw any movies. If they weren't Marvel movies, I really didn't see them. And it was really difficult for me to come up with movies in 2018. But for some reason this year, I've seen a lot more movies, both in the theater and on all the streaming services. So I felt very confident about this list today just because I'm like, I, and you know me, I'm anal like this. I compile lists, and I literally, every time that I saw a movie in 2019, I put it in an Excel spreadsheet so I wasn't sitting there going, I wonder what oh movies I this year. I need just, that spreadsheet. Well, just, uh, I guess, to be a little neater in life. But 
let's just hop right in because you and I always make the most out of the two hours that we got. So, Brittany, what is your number 10 in our top 10 movies in 2019? I'm going to go a little lower, and I know it's like, start it with a Marvel movie. But I was going to go ahead and start it with Captain Marvel because even though it wasn't the greatest, greatest Marvel movie, I did really enjoy it because I just love, uh, we had Nick Fury in it. We had Captain Marvel and getting to see her go super Saiyan. There was definitely some issues to the movie, but I did thoroughly enjoy it. If not only for Nick Fury and what is the alien guy's name? Oh, uh, what is his name? Talos. Was that his name? Talos. Yes. Yes. Loved him. Got loved getting to learn about them. I love the whole uh, things aren't always as they seem. Uh, Captain Marvel trying to learn her past. But I don't know. I enjoyed it. I always loved the... I'm trying to think of the word for it. I guess to me it felt like we had had just a little while since we had like an origin story for a hero. So I always enjoyed the first movie in a series. You know, um because even Thor, even though it was the beginning, it wasn't the beginning of him, like, get, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. Either way, I enjoyed it. I was like, I need more Captain Marvel. I wish it could have been better. But if not only that her outfit was freaking amazing in it, which is the whole reason I wanted to cosplay as her, and I do love her in the comics, but as I said, the movie could have been better, but I was like, man, this seems fair enough for like the 10 of a top 10. I think so. To start the top 10 movies in 2019 with Captain Marvel, first of all, to think about it as Captain Marvel is the first female-led superhero movie in the MCU, which is crazy to think that after 10 years and what, 20-something movies, that that's the case, but here we are. And, you know, I didn't mind Captain Marvel. Is it in my top five Marvel movies? No. But I didn't hate it to the degree that so many others did. Like, I think I watched it not too long ago, and I thought to myself, this is still an entertaining movie. You have all the 90s nostalgia. Brie Larson, I think, is a good Carol Danvers. Danvers, my bad. I love seeing seeing, uh, Nick Fury, uh, you know, interact with her. I thought that they had a really good rapport, and that's all the actors, right? So clearly Samuel L. Jackson and Brie Larson have a great chemistry together that made them really awesome partners on screen. Um, I loved, uh, oh, God, what was the cast name? The Flurkin. Um, oh, my God. Why can't I think Oh, of? Goose. Goose. Yeah, I love Goose. You and I are cat lovers. So anytime we get to see a cat on screen, we're like, yes, which is funny because apparently Brie Larson is kind of allergic to cats, I think. So that was oh, hilarious no. to me. Um, and I, I really liked uh, Talos. Uh, ben Meldison. I know I'm mispronouncing that last name, but that's the actor who played him, and he's a fantastic actor. So I enjoyed it, and you know what I enjoyed too about the movie? Um, Lee Pace reprising his role as Ronan. <laughs> oh my gosh! Of course you did. This girl is oh. obsessed. 
obsessed with them. She's the type that never watched Lord of the Rings, but would watch all million hours of it just to get him. I just really like Lee Pace, his voice, his eyebrows, you know, he's got it going on. <laughs> he's got some thick brows. Like, I feel like that's one of his most defining features, which is so funny for, like, such an easily changeable feature of a face. You know what I mean? You know what, though, in Hollywood, you need to have that thing that sets you apart from everyone, and his brows are one of them. So, you know, but either way, I absolutely think that Captain Marvel is a great addition to this 2019 movies. It made over a billion dollars, so all the man babies crying out there about it um, can suck it because it is super successful. My one thing about the Captain Marvel movie, I didn't mind the Captain Marvel movie. When I say that, I'm like downplaying. I like the Captain Marvel movie. But I think looking back, I liked it just a little less only because of how insignificant she felt in Avengers Endgame. That was my only thing. She popped in for five seconds to headbutt Thanos. Well, not headbutt him, but to be headbutted by him. Well, my whole thing is that... um, at the end of Avengers Infinity War, when uh, uh, Nick Fury first, you know, when you first see the little beeper with her symbol, I didn't even know who Captain Marvel was. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, Captain Marvel is going to come and kick Thanos' ass. You all better be effing scared. She's going to come and just rule everything. And the movie came, and I was like, yes, she's so powerful. I'm so excited. Thanos doesn't know what the hell he's in for. And then the movie came, like, Endgame came, and I was like, oh, so Captain Marvel kind of, like, really wasn't necessary for anything, which is bad, you know? So I'm – go ahead. I was going to say, the problem is that she's overpowered, so they they can't bring her in long enough to, like – because – you saw how she, Thanos couldn't even hurt her. The only time that he could hurt her was using the Power Stone, and that's very OP against someone that Captain America couldn't beat, that uh, that anybody couldn't beat at that point, and to have it where he couldn't even hurt her was very interesting. Uh, it, you know, Thor was one of the few that was able to, and that was the, like a sneak attack, he caught him off guard, and he didn't go for the head. But then you have someone that Thanos can't even hurt. It it would have ended the movie very very quickly. I, I agree completely. That's the problem when you introduce a character and they're just too powerful. Um, we can make that argument, as you said, sometimes for Thor because he's clearly you know, one of the the strongest Avenger, as he says in Thor Ragnarok. But, you know, it makes it difficult sometimes with him. Um, and then you have a character like Captain Marvel who's even stronger than Thor. That just makes everything more difficult. So we'll see what happens moving forward with the future of the MCU. Um, I mean, I know that they've talked about a Captain Marvel too but nothing is uh, necessarily confirmed as to when at this point. So we'll just keep moving forward. But, hey, Black Widow is the next Marvel movie, and I am super excited for that. We 
could probably talk two hours about that trailer alone. But Brittany, let's wait. move on. <laughs> let's move on. I love that you did um, Captain Marvel to start this out. I feel like that is a strong uh, introduction to this uh, list, and I feel that I'm going to fail a little in following that up. No. <laughs> Girl, you're going to be perfect. Thank you. So my 2019 for number nine is actually going to be a Netflix movie just because I loved it so much. And it is going to be Always Be My Maybe. You watched that, right? Uh, it was on my list. Oh, I'm sorry. I hope you have backups. <laughs> you better be uh, I'm looking, girl. Me. I'm looking. <laughs> um, but... Always Be My Maybe, obviously, was a Netflix movie, and it was just so adorable and cute. And because it is also on your list, Brittany, I'm actually going to let you take this. Uh, it's still going to be my entry, but I'm going to have you uh, explain it for the audience. So you take my pick and then expect me to do it for you? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I do all I the love- work now. Okay, one word, uh, Keanu Reeves, which is two words, but I meant just a name. But you can't just say Keanu without his last name. I loved his appearance in it. The movie was very cute. I thought it was going to be one of those things that, like, I'm bad about putting on a movie but not being able to pay attention. But this one was different. I was like, well, I'm going to put it on, and if I listen, it's fine, and if I don't listen, it's fine. I ended up being, like, so enthralled that I was, like, sitting there. I remember uh, I was actually giving my boyfriend a facial on the floor while watching the movie and just, like, getting distracted because I was like, okay, your face can wait. I need to watch this movie. Um, Love the cuteness of it. Uh, Love that, you know, she did remain strong, that even though she loved the main male character, which because I can't remember their names right now, um, I did enjoy that she's like, I'm not just going to give up my career just because you feel bad that I'm more successful than you, and that she pushes him for his dreams. Uh, The girl he dates at one point that's just obsessed with Keanu Reeves cracks me up, and I love that he plays himself. I do not, like, it's just like, I think it's because uh, they call him the Internet's boyfriend to see him, like, in a douchebag version of himself. Like, the total opposite of how he is, like, I just, I needed it. I very much enjoyed the movie. Sometimes, Brittany, I have to make a comment that I don't think you realize how wrong you sound sometimes. Because I was giving my boyfriend a facial while I was on the floor. (laughs) No! I meant, like, you, y'all get your minds out of the gutter. Facial, skincare (laughs) facial. I went to cosmetology school. I have a license. I just, oh, no. No. (laughs) Sorry, but no. I do love this movie. I loved their friendship growing up, how you see that 
the main girl's character, her parents were, you know, always working, so they weren't necessarily around all the time, and therefore she spent a lot of time with his mom, who really just instilled her love of cooking, which we see helped her later on in life being a chef and being a very successful chef, and I really enjoyed that. I love them getting back into each other's lives, but it not going smoothly. Uh, just as you said, with her refusal, which which is great, right? Her refusal to simply lay down her aspirations for him. Uh, and we see that a lot in movies where normally she would just not continue on with what she wanted to do in opening her restaurant, say, I believe it was in New York. And... I just love the whole thing. Um, I, of course, was very hungry throughout the whole entire movie because there is that big emphasis on the food, which was really great in the end, right, when we see her open up her new restaurant because the other restaurant, I believe, as uh, Randall Park's character pointed out, was very, say, uh, mainstream and trying to appeal to a wider audience and not necessarily being so authentic. And then her new restaurant was incredibly authentic because it was all a nod to his mother's cooking. That was so beautiful. I love that. Um, And I loved her parents showing up, uh, you know, and her finally kind of like forgiving them for not being there as much and even understanding why they weren't there as much growing up and her taking them, uh, you know, to, to the opening of her restaurant. And yes, Keanu Reeves was, hilarious in the movie. Um, I don't think anyone would ever associate Keanu Reeves with being a douchebag, but you did in that movie. <laughs> in that movie, you were like, wow, Keanu Reeves is a douchebag, but obviously your <laughs> life is fake. Um, but I love this movie so much. Uh, I think it's really cute. It was a great watch. It made me happy. It made me cry. It made me extremely hungry. And in the end, isn't that what we want from every movie? I always get sad with the parents because it wasn't that they were even, like, bad parents. They were just trying to make a life for her. You know, we know how hard it is to make a living in this country and for them to be – because I think – I believe – were they immigrants at this point Uh, trying to make it in America? And that was why they worked so much? And part of the reason, like, because they had so many businesses, you have to think about it. It's like, not they had so many, but they had to work such long hours. It's not like they were meaning to be, you know, negligent. They just were trying to, like, survive. And I always found that kind of sad. Well, yeah. They, you know, as a kid, you don't realize that. You just think, oh, mom and dad aren't around. But they weren't not around because they were off partying. They were not around because they were trying to provide for their family. So, and I think that that was something maybe that she understood as she got older because we saw how uh, emerged into work she was. So therefore she was able to kind of, I think, understand and relate. You know, when you're trying to make a career, you have to make sacrifices. You have to upset a few people and that's unfortunately the way so i i liked it i don't say the way to me why because the mandalorian 
oh, this is the way. I still haven't watched the new episode. I have been, ask Brittany, I have been completely 100% enthralled in the third season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which if you haven't watched this series, you really need to. It is a fantastic series on Amazon Prime. And I think season three was even better, say, than season two. And it it was just so amazing. So, yeah, I've been kind of just completely, my time has been 100% marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is not always a good thing because I have not gotten a lot of work done because of it. Oh, no. We need to have a top 10 Mrs. Maisel uh, season three. I need you to actually watch season three so that I can do that. No, I think I'm okay. Not sure. <laughs> You're on your own. You're on your own, no. girl. I'll just do the top ten with every single thought being me, and you can just sit there and listen, so at least it's not me just doing a solo show. I guess that'll right. be how it is. Like, I'll make uh, comments on it. I think that's good. That's good. But, uh... <laughs> uh let's move on. Uh, Brittany, what is your number eight? You're gonna laugh, but I'm I really okay with enjoyed. Laughing. I really enjoyed Detective Pikachu. I really <laughs> did. I did. Okay, I have grown up with Pokemon. I I think I have played every single game except for the uh, Pokemon Black and White two, and, and like. And by the way, these are like they're they're like the sequels of like games within games. So I, you know what, I don't count it. But uh, Pokemon Yellow, Pokemon Blue, Red, all of them, I very much enjoyed Pokemon. And one thing from the community is people always wanted something a little more realistic. A big thing was people wanted a game that would be realistic, that would be kind of like Skyrim, that would be able to do that. And everybody was like, oh, that's never going to be possible because we can't imagine it. And so when Detective Pikachu was coming out and you got to see, like, real-life versions of them, it it was going to, people felt like it was going to be a hard sell because, okay, suddenly, you know, they're realistic-looking, what do you do? And people were like, oh, you know, Pikachu's too fluffy. He's supposed to be fluffy. He builds up static on his fur. It's part of his description of how he produces electricity. But... Not on that point, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, Ryan Reynolds being Pikachu, which is hilarious. Uh, Enjoyed the plot. Uh, I was mostly just there for getting to see all the Pokemon in, like, their real-life versions. And for me, it was like a dream come true as, like, a child of how badly I wanted these things to be real. I remember, like, begging begging, like, the higher beings, begging God, like, oh, please let Pokemon be real as, like, a child, like, six, you know, when you're like, oh, I can pray for anything to happen. Well, I wanted Pokemon to be real very, very badly. (laughs) But besides that point, I, uh, the plot could be a little lacking. Uh, there was some parts, but just to, uh, I guess, like, the humor of it, because it's hard to have Ryan Reynolds in a serious thing, but even him voicing Pikachu was wonderful. I don't know if you <laughs> saw it, Tia. 
I actually did not see uh, Detective Pikachu, but I wanted to, actually. I was incredibly impressed by the trailer. I thought that the movie in general looked so entertaining. And I was insanely impressed by how realistic the Pokemon looked. Because you know how um, you see sometimes on the Internet they do realistic pictures of, say, like the Simpsons, and they look absolutely terrifying? Oh, well, that was, uh, thank God they went back in and changed that design because that was an abomination. But um, you would think that, like, realistic Pokemon wouldn't look good. And from the trailer, I was like, holy shit. I was like, they look amazing. Pikachu looks so good. Like, I would never imagine Pikachu at first because um, I guess I wasn't as big of, say, a Pokemon fan to remember that he was described as having fur. Huh? He's a mouse. He's a mouse Pokemon. Mouse have fur. I said mouse have fur. Mice have fur. I didn't realize that's what he was supposed to be. But either way, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. To me, I thought from the trailer, the Pokemon that I think I liked the most, their realistic design was Charizard. I thought it looked so cool and so awesome. Very reptilian. Um, yeah, I just I really liked where they went with the design of these Pokemon, and that was what made you a Sonic. That was what made like the Sonic commercial originally so frustrating. Because in my head, I was thinking to myself, they just made the Pokemon look absolutely incredible. And then you come out with this Sonic trailer where the character Sonic doesn't look anything like what people are used to. And you have to think about it, right? With Detective Pikachu, it was like a shit ton of Pokemon, right? A shit ton of CGI design oh, that yeah. they had to go into. And with Sonic, it's just one. And it's like, you couldn't get one character down, but Detective Pikachu could get all of these characters down. So uh, I applaud Detective Pikachu for just having such amazing design. And I don't know, maybe if it's on like Netflix or Hulu or something, I'll I'll check it out. I'll give it a watch. You you give it a watch. I I think what gets me about the, the Sonic thing so much is that there's even been games where the humans look very realistic. Like, that's been a thing. They look like humans and not cartoon humans. And that Sonic looks like Sonic. You don't have to make a fictional character look super realistic in a game. Like, like okay, I get one thing that they changed is that um, Sonic... In the uh, in the games, his eyes are like one unit. You know what I mean? Like the whites of his eyes, almost like goggles. Mm-hmm. But which yeah. I understood them separating them. But they gave them like human teeth, uh, little human legs that were creepy. It was just creepy. I think that was the best way of describing it. No, it was. It was like the stuff of nightmares. Um, did you see the new design? Oh, I did. Except I'm, I'm always wary that I'm like, did you just do this all as a ploy to get people talking, and then you could seem like the good guys if you just like already had it. Like, say they already made 
the Sonic movie the way that we see it now, but purposely just did one trailer bad with that because that would be a cheaper move and just marketed that and then like, oh, look, we changed it. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, they're amazing. I applaud them. So I'm skeptical. I don't trust these people. I I am both here with you and also, like, skeptical of that, only because it did take them six months, and they did have to redo an entire, like, movie pretty much and new scenes with the new design and cost a shit ton of money. But then again, it's like, did they really do that all in six months, or did they already have – you know what? It, it, is, uh, it is something. It is definitely uh, something to wonder. I, I just think that if that wasn't a marketing ploy, right, how anyone looked at that original design and thought that, hey, this is acceptable. Like, how did you think that people were going to – actually accept that when you put that trailer out. The backlash, I think, was warranted. And uh, I've seen people say on the Internet, go, oh, well, this is bully society. See, um, you know, the Internet just makes the fuss and the uh, powers that be just bow down to them. And I go, well, do you want to make your money back for the movie or not? Because clearly you didn't with that design. No one was going to go see that. That's what gets me is people, you know, that was the story I heard too, was that like a higher up of, is Sony producing this movie? I can't remember. Uh, I believe Sony. I believe Sony is. All I heard is that like a higher up like pushed it and was like, this is the way I want it. I'm like, this one person really like cared that much about loving that design so much that everybody in the entire organization said, no, that's a bad idea. And he went, you know what? I think I'm right. I'm like, (laughs) that doesn't seem like a smart move for someone that got into that business for being smart, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Conspiracy theories. (laughs) But the whole thing was that your pick was Detective Pikachu. I love it. Great pick for this number eight and I certainly believe that it like visually was a complete and utter success for 2019 and I think that graphic design and CGI is only going to get better as the years go on so awesome pick Brittany I am going to hit the number seven um and I'm going to pick one that I just watched recently just because I really really enjoyed it um, and it's a bit of a serious movie. I know you haven't seen it, Brittany, but it is going to be The Report. Um, and The Report came out, and first of all, Adam Driver is having a year. Like, uh, <laughs> with with The Report, Marriage Story, and then uh, Star Wars is coming out, what, in like a few weeks or something like that? Uh, it is oh, certainly yeah. the the Adam Driver renaissance. So I have to tell you that I get it. He's a fantastic actor. So the report is about the real-life report that was put together by the FBI and specifically this guy, Dan Jones, uh, detailing the torture that was uh, performed on suspected terrorists after the 9-11 attack. 
And the whole point of this was that, you know, the United States doesn't torture. But there were torture tactics done by the CIA afterwards. And so pretty much uh, Dan Jones decides to put together this report. And it takes like five years. It's like 7,000 pages long. And it is all-consuming. And you have this really like back and forth uh, between people. You have the FBI who wants to remain uh, legal and, you know, straightforward. And you have the CIA, which is saying, you know, we get our intelligence how we want to get our intelligence. And, you know, it is wrong of you to go after us because we're all on the same side here. And the FBI is saying that, you know, you're making it hard to prosecute anyone because of what you did and you know based on all the reports that we did um, you guys didn't get any information whatsoever and you just wasted a shit ton of time uh, you know broke all these laws and wasted like millions of taxpayers dollars right so it was just like really intense the whole entire thing and I think what stood out to me the most in the report was they in a few scenes, actually showed some, not real life footage, but showed um, like interrogation and torture tactics against suspected terrorists. And I always think to myself, like, yeah, it's acting, but those actors must have really gone through some strenuous shit. I mean, they showed shit like waterboarding, um, all these like other different torture tactics that you know, as an actor, I I can't imagine, you know, obviously, like, you're not really being tortured, but there are a few scenes where you see, like, someone, like, naked on the floor, and, you know, music is blasting as a form of, like, you know, torture and everything, I'm like, okay, well, that must have been strenuous. They use Britney Spears' music to torture them. Yeah, which, that does sound fucking torturous, um, but... Oh, my God! But, yeah, so, and then um, you have Adam Driver in it, who plays Dan Jones, and he is just so determined. Like, any little thing that happens, he is just so determined to let the truth come out. And there's at some point where everyone is telling him, you know, this report may never come out. And it's like, this is a report that he spent five years doing, a report that he has, you know, pretty much spent every single day, weekends, have forfeited relationships in order to achieve. And it may never see the light of day. And at some point, the CIA kind of agrees for, like, say, a summary to come out, but they have the right to pretty much black out anything that they want. And they pretty much, like, black out the whole entire freaking report. Like, there's at some point where, like, there's just page after page and, like, every line is, like, blacked out. Um and yeah it's just this whole thing of like back and forth of like the american public should should know and they should find out but you know they shouldn't know and they shouldn't find out but that's bad for them it'll make it'll make the united states look bad but you know we should own up to our mistakes and blah blah and you know they it's just it's a lot and it is very eye-opening um and it definitely i think elicits uh this complicated feelings within yourself, right? Because you think of the time and it obviously took place, uh, you know, after 9-11. 
And so there's a lot of emotions there, but then it is unsettling the techniques that they used and the fact that they concluded that the 183 people that they tortured, uh, no useful information was, uh, you know, given at all. Either these people said what we already knew or they were lying just to get the torture to stop. So it was very intense. Um, and I think that Adam Driver did a really good job in his portrayal of Dan Jones. Um, and Corey Stoll was with it. Corey Stoll was in it with a full beard. So I rest my case. <laughs> I like how you're like, serious subject matter. But Corey Stoll, beautiful man. I was going to say, um, do you ever remember the show Burn Notice? You know, I remember seeing, like, the advertisement on it on USA, but I never actually watched it. Okay. Ansley was obsessed with the show. Like, if it came on, I remember we talk about staying the night, and she'd be like, no, you know, uh, the show comes on. Like, that's how obsessed she was with it. <laughs> but there, I remember one scene, because, you know, I didn't get very much into it, but I remember there's the scene when they're talking about torture because I think he used to be a spy or he was some kind of agent or something. And he's talking about torture and he goes, torture isn't the best way to get the truth. It's just the quickest way to get a lie. And I don't know why that always stuck with me. I was like, well, it's true. Because at that point, you're just admitting to anything. You're going to say anything that's going to make it stop. There's... You're not sitting there going, man, even what, cause what if you know nothing? You're just supposed to just be tortured forever? Well, yeah, and I mean, that was the whole point, really, of the movie, like, because you had people who were sitting there saying, you know, fuck these terrorists, 9-11 happened, why should we even care about being humane to them? And then other people, such as Dan Jones, pointing out, um, well, what if these were, you know, none of these people, they have, like, suspected ties to, say, Al-Qaeda, but nothing's confirmed. And what happens when one of our American soldiers are captured and the same techniques are used against them? There would be a public outcry, but because, you know, we're doing it to people who don't necessarily look like us, then, oh, no, it's okay. So it, it very much is that type of movie where I can see that if you say lean left of the political spectrum, you'll feel one way. And if you lean right of the political spectrum, you'll feel another way. And I think that was the point of the movie. But either way, no matter how you feel about it, um, the movie does kind of state like how much of a gigantic waste of time it was, which may be a little controversial for me to say. But again, they like pretty much summarize in the report, like nothing came of this. Nothing came of this. It just was a waste of money and put a bad precedent on what America is, pretty much. So it was just really crazy. And then Annette Benning played, like, a real-life senator, which I can't believe I can't even remember the name of the senator, but she was really good in it. And John Hamm was good in it, you know, because he um, – yeah. John Hamm's good in everything. Well, that's it. Well, that was the thing is that, all right, so Corey Stoll was only in it really for like one scene, but John Hamm was in it pretty much like consistently. So I was like, okay, like, you know, I'll, I'll accept not getting that much Corey Stoll because we got this much John Hamm. 
But I will tell you that the report um, really kind of, like, made me look at Adam Driver, like, differently because prior to this, I really haven't seen him in a lot except for maybe, like, one goofy movie, which actually, now that I think about really quick, he has been, as far as my knowledge, in three things that Corey Stoll has been. They both were in the HBO show Girls together. They were in this comedy movie together, and then they were in the report together. You never Man, know. Man, maybe they're lovers. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch it. But anyway. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Tia. I know. Bad, bad, bad. But, yeah, so that is um, one of my entries for this top ten movies in 2019. Uh, Brittany, what is your number six? I'm, like, looking at my list. I'm, like, how must I organize this? Um, I think, fun enough, because I hate scary movies, I'm going to go with It Chapter 2, which I thought was funny because the whole reason I even went was to chaperone my younger brother and his girlfriend watching a movie with his friends, which is always a good time. But uh, I got a little spooked in it. Like, the first scene, now, there was some scenes I was like, why even add that? But because it was just powerful and just pretty horrific, like, there is a gay couple at the beginning. And apparently, you know, there's this group of guys that are very not okay with it that just decide to beat the ever-loving shit out of both of them and then dump uh, the half-alive body of one of them into the water so that he could drown. It was just very, uh, very, uh, you know, I get it's a scary movie and there's going to be death, but I was just like, golly. Oh, and then they had him get eaten by it. So, you know, that was great. Um, but I enjoyed it because I did feel that there was a lot to it. I felt like the plot was pretty good. You know, them just trying to deal with the trauma that they went through. Uh, you know, there is the love triangle. There is the uh, them, uh, the main character. Uh, what's his name? I got to think of his name. Uh, but him dealing with the fact that, uh, you know, his little brother died and he never really came to terms with that, you know, with Georgie dying. Um, but I guess I felt like it was a good wrap up. Uh, it, it was unexpectedly funny at some points, which I was not expecting. I thought it was just going to be pure horror, but there was some parts that you were just like, okay. Like, somebody gets stabbed in the face, and they almost twist it in a funny way, and I didn't know how to deal with that, but um, I, I'm i not doing the movie justice, because I'm just trying to pick out my favorite points of it, but I felt like it was a good wrap-up to the this, the movies that had basically inspired a lot of people to walk, walk around in it makeup and just be a clown, and the whole Georgie, I felt like it was a living meme, so I do feel like it very much influenced 2019. I know 2018, when the first one came out, was really big, but the one in 2019 just kind of kept it going. It kind of kept the, uh, it's kind of like the Marvel movies. It keeps uh, updating people's costumes. But you saw the first one, didn't you? I did see the first one, yes. 
um, I will admit that I did not see it chapter two, which I know, yes, boo, boo, but um, I, it was, I wanted to see it, but I think that I said this enough, say, on podcasts and even to Juwan that I don't frequently say go to the movies. I'll either, you know, wait for something to come out or I'll just watch stuff on, like, streaming services. So I didn't go out to the movie theater to see It Chapter 2, which isn't – it's the same thing with the first It. I didn't go see it in the movies. I waited for it to come out. But I remember uh, hearing that it was even, say, more intense than the first one. It was a harder rated R um than say the first one and you had just some amazing talent right you had freaking um james mcavoy bill Hader, uh jessica chastain i you know bill sarkard reprising his role as pennywise so you know you have just this amazing plethora of talent um now i do have to ask you because this is one of the things that i was hearing from people who have seen the movie was it a bit too long. It, it was, yes. <laughs> Let me just sum <laughs> that up. It, it's kind of like, okay, with Avengers, uh, the, the one we will speak about later, um, you know, it was three hours long, but it kept you going, right? It, it yeah. felt like each part, you know, it was distracting enough with it. You know, it is hard to watch it twice, but, you know, it kept you going. With it, chapter two, I felt like it was trying hard to. I guess it's kind of being nitpicky because, you know, we hate when movies get split up because we would rather just have the movie, right? But sometimes you have to, if you want to fit it all into one, you have to make it long, right? Because you can't just make like a separate one hour movie just to sum it all up. But there was a lot in it where you're like, okay, Come on, come on. It felt like a lot of filler, if that makes sense. A lot of, like, character development, and that's great and everything, but it just felt like I was like, okay, and the next part, and the next part. It's kind of like I was uh, in my oral comm class. Someone was like, and in conclusion, this, and as I thought they were at their last sentence, they kept, they like went into a whole nother subject and I was like, oh my God, when is it going to end? And that's how I felt about the movie. Oh my God. I don't know why that, that reminded me of like years ago, I went to this concert, right? Um, and it was called like the big four and it was the like four like big uh, bands in thrash metal that essentially start out the genre and who are like the big ones. So uh, Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth, Metallica. And clearly, you know, Metallica is the most like mainstream known of all those bands. So you had like, I think Anthrax started, Slayer then went, then Megadeth, then Metallica. And by the way, this was a big deal because Dave Mustaine of Megadeth and the lead singer of Metallica have had a beef for, like, decades. So this is huge, right? So Metallica Metallica comes on. Their freaking, like, set is so much longer than the other three. And then they get everyone in all the other bands to come out for another song. You would think 
but that's the encore, right? You're like, okay, this makes sense. You know, it was four bands, and now all the bands get back up together after Metallica set, do like a few songs together. That's it, right? That's enough of an encore. But then after that, then Metallica came back out for another no. few songs. And I was like, how many encores do you need? <laughs> I don't, so, it's like where you love it and it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but you're also like, I also need sleep. Well, my whole thing where I was like, you guys are such, like, attention-grabbing whores. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, I did not see it Chapter 2. It's definitely on my list to eventually get to but it is interesting because it was only ever supposed to be two movies right um but you know this is hollywood and they love capitalizing on anything that is popular and anything that they can continuously make a buck on right so i think that there was talk that the director and even bill skarsgård wouldn't necessarily mind returning for a third one, but if they did, then they would be completely acting off script, right? Because these movies are based on Stephen King's books. And with the the second movie, that completed the story as far as everything that you see in the books and even the original Tim Curry movie. But if they decide to come back for a third one, they would be completely like, just doing their own story. So it'll be interesting to see if that actually follows through just because the It movies make a shit ton of money or if they just decide to let it be, which we know it's Hollywood. They'll beat anything with a dead horse, right? Well, what gets me about it is where else would they go with it? Because spoiler alert, they they fully beat it. They fully... uh, like kill it or I try to think or seal I think that's the thing that they might do they sealed it back away and I don't know if they killed it or not I can't quite remember because by the end of it I was like oh my god let me go home even though I enjoyed the movie I was like I was like it's like I think the movie was like at six and I was like I want my bed I need rest but I can't remember if they killed killed it or just uh or just sealed it away. Well, who knows? You know, if they would have actually do anything. But uh, that's like the Irishman. I watched that recently, and it's like three and a half hours long. And at some point, I remember I like paused the movie, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm only an hour into this movie. I have two hours left." Oh god. And that's like, and that's not to say, like, that it wasn't a good movie, but that is not a movie that you watch in one sitting. Like, you act as if that's a series and you're going episode by episode because it's just so much. It's so much. But, um, Brittany, I love that you did It Chapter 2. It certainly was one of the biggest movies of the year, uh, certainly in money-wise and event-wise. Um, everyone was waiting for this because, the 2017 It movie was just so freaking massive. So great job on this entry for this list. I'm going to go with number five. 
And there's another movie that I saw recently. I have to say, there were a lot of bad movies that I saw this year, too. So we definitely have to do, like, top ten worst movies, because I have, like, a shit ton of those. Oh, um, no. But <laughs> I'm going to pick another movie that I know you didn't see, but I did talk to you about this, because I really ended up enjoying it. And it is going to be Jojo Rabbit, which oh, is shit. another which is going to be another movie by uh, Taika Waititi, and that is the guy who is behind Thor Ragnarok, and he will be directing Thor Love and Thunder. But, so Jojo Rabbit, on the, okay, first of all, let me say before I um, go into anything else, what I love most about Jojo Rabbit is it is a serious and poignant movie that is that was advertised as a comedy, and certainly had yeah. comedy in the beginning, and it is only really there to draw you in and put your ass in the seat, so then they can tell you a serious-ass story in the second half. That is what I truly believe, because from the outside, you're like, this is a comedy. It's just going to be silly. And then it gets so serious, and you're like, oh, they did this just to, like, get people to sit down and watch this movie. Um, so the whole point of Jojo Rabbit is you have this young boy and it is, okay, like, this is going to sound nuts when I, like, tell you about it, right? And anyone who's listening who's not seen the movie, but it's about this little boy during uh, Nazi Germany who uh, idolizes Adolf Hitler, and his imaginary friend is a version of Adolf Hitler, by the way, played by uh, Taika Waititi, who, you know, he said himself that it would be hilarious that a Polynesian Jewish man plays Adolf Hitler. So yeah, you, that was the thing I thought was hilarious. Yeah, exactly. So you have this little boy Jojo, and he is off to be the best Nazi that he can be. Right? He goes to little Nazi camp with all the other little Jewish, uh, not Jewish, well, all the other little Nazi boys. Uh, I know, uh, but he goes uh, to Nazi camp, right? Which if you think about it, again, you think, ha-ha, so funny, like, look at all these little kids, you know, blah, 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 and then you, like, realize, like, no, towards the end of, like, World War II, Hitler was bringing in young boys into his army once they were losing. Um, but, yeah, so you have all these little kids, and they're off to Nazi camp, whatever. You have Sam Rockwell, who plays, like, the captain or the colonel, and he's so done. Like, he is just this, like, what? he is like, it's like there's that one point where he's like, you know, oh, you know, they say we're not losing, but, you know, whatever, fuck it. And he's, like, just drinking constantly from a flask. Like, he's just so, like, done with everything. He's like, yeah, I got demoted. He's, like, constantly getting demoted throughout the movie. And you have Rebel Wilson, who's hilarious. And, you know, JoJo is just trying to be the best little Nazi that he can while his imaginary friend Hitler is, cheering him on, but unfortunately at some point Jojo has an accident while in Nazi camp because, you know, Nazism is, a, is just not for him, right? Um, yeah. But he wants to be. So he ends up having to recover at home, and he discovers that there is a little Jewish girl in their walls because his mother is hiding her out. Um, and the way that, and the way that they approach it in the movie, like the way they're teaching everything, like, oh, the Jewish people have tails and they have horns and, you know, we stare, it's very like 
remember the movie Borat? It is very like that satire of like trying to imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's very much like that. Um, But during, so throughout the movie, you have Jojo and this young girl who, you know, at first he's like sitting there as if she's some mystical being. Like at some point, he like runs away and like him and like Hitler are looking at each other and Hitler's like, oh, that was close. And Jojo's like, I know, she almost got us. Um, But you know, then he starts learning things about her, and they start developing this friendship, and he's like, maybe the Jewish people aren't so bad, blah, blah, blah. Um, I forget where I'm going with this, because there is, like, so much, like, going on that was so, like, poignant. Like, the Jewish girl has this, like, really epic um, freaking line about how she's, like, we're the children of God, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, it's so cool. It's, like, such an epic line. Um, yeah. But, uh, so... Scarlett Johansson plays Jojo's mother, right? And you can tell she, like, hates everything that's going on. Like, there's at some point where they're walking and you see, and this is what I'm saying, it's like, it's a comedy, but, like, it gets really serious because there's at some point where they're walking and you just see, like, these four dead bodies, like, hanging. And And she makes Jojo, like, look at them. And JoJo's like, what did they do? And she's like, whatever they could. Because she hates it. Like she said, she's like, I hate the war. I can't wait for it to be over with. And JoJo's like, you hate your country so much. And she's like, no, I love my country. I just hate the war. She's like, I want the war to come to an end. You know, she's very, like, loving. So that's the thing is they brainwash the youth. Because where do you start at? You don't start with the adults to try, you know. They've developed minds of their own. You start with the children. Exactly. So it, you have all of that. Um, and then there's at some point that, like, really is just so nerve-wracking that uh, Sam Rockwell's character and some other, like, Nazis come to JoJo's house. And the young girl, the Jewish girl, wasn't able to go back into the wall quick enough, so she had to pretty much lie and say, like, oh, I'm I'm his sister, you know? Like, how Hitler, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's at some point that's so, like, and I know I'm, like, going on. I just, I'm trying to get this, like, across that there's this scene, and I guess spoiler alert, but, you know, whatever, um, where she, like, Sam Rockwell's character is like, oh, show me your papers, and she finds these, like, you know, papers that has, like, this girl on it. And I think it's, like, JoJo's, like, real, like, sister who died or something. I forget all that. But, like, who looks like her. And, like, he, she hands him the paper and he's just staring at it. And he's, like, oh, what's your birthday? And she says something like the first, right? You know, blah, blah, blah. And he's, like, correct. And he gives it back to her and they leave. And JoJo's, like, oh, everything is great. And the girl's, like, no, because my birth, the birthday wasn't the first. It's the seventh. He knew that we were lying. They'll be back. And there's this scene that's so sad. And I'm going to spoil it right now because we're on air. And I want to tell you about it. And then I'm going to like, Oh, I'm hurting. Um, there's this scene where, and you don't fully see it because I didn't realize that at first. But you see JoJo walking. And he sees the bodies again. But you don't really see the bodies. You just see the feet, right? You just see the feet. And you realize that the shoes of one of the bodies is his mother's shoes. Oh, and he goes shit. And, and he goes and runs up and just hugs her leg. And you never see, like, the rest of the body, but you just see 
the mother's shoes. And it's because I think also prior he, like, saw her, like, putting flyers up that said free Germany, you know? And it was just so sad. It was so sad. And it got really serious at some point because then you just have all these young kids having to fight against, you know, the other armies and stuff. And it was just so, like, it was, as Taika Waititi said, it was an anti-hate movie and it was a pro-love movie because it really did at the end, like, really touch upon that, that it is love that should push human beings forward and it is love that connects everyone. So that's what I'm saying is that this movie as silly as, like, the concept sounds, as silly as the trailers were, it is a movie that um, really relies on the comedy to reel you in because then it has a very important message to tell you. So that is why I really enjoy Jojo Rabbit. Um, and, yeah, that's going to be my number five entry. I know that you haven't seen it, Brittany, but is there anything – like, did you ever watch the trailers for it? I didn't watch the trailer, but I was gonna say, did really quick, did the little girl make it, or was she was she done like the mom? No, she actually makes it. Her and JoJo continue like living it because it's really cute. There's at some point because she's a little older than JoJo, so she says like she has a fiance, right? And JoJo is like a little boy, so he's like developing a crush on her. So he's like, oh, your boyfriend, you know, sent mail and he doesn't want to be with you anymore, blah, blah, blah. And she, like, acts as if she's so, like, upset. And so then JoJo feels bad, so he starts, like, writing these fake letters of how, like, from, like, the fiancé and blah, blah, blah. And you find out at the end of the movie that the fiancé was killed, like, before. like, And she knew that he was killed before, like, that ever even, like, they happened. Um, and pretty much, like... Uh, what was I going to say, that, you know, she, like, knew, she just thought it was, like, really nice to kind of, uh, you know, like, like, like to hear as if, like, you, you know me, I'm, like, I'm having, like, a brain fart right now, but, yeah. Well, now I'm depressed and sad, <laughs> and I just want to curl up, I have to work later, I'm going to be thinking about this, my heart's going to hurt, thanks a lot, Tia, you, you break everything you touch. I know I do. Oh, oh yeah. So, <laughs> um, so my entry for the number five is going to be Jojo Rabbit. Um, I guess we should move on. Brittany, what is your number four? Uh, let me see, because I had it in my head, but then I got so sad. I was like, let me look again. Uh, I'm <laughs> about to be like on a on a Marvel kick. I'm sorry. I'm gonna go. I don't with- care. Spider-Man Far From Home because yes. that movie was amazing. <laughs> I love Mysterio and all of his assholeness that we come to find out about. I love everybody kind of dealing with everybody coming back from the uh, what, you, what was it called again? The Snap. The Snap. You know, and that the fact that you know everybody came back at their age. And everybody else was, like, older, like that one kid that was young and then uh, came back and he was older. Because isn't, isn't that the thing with it, right? If I'm not mistaken, it was the people that – did the people that get blipped come back as older or was it the people that came back were young? It was that remember. the people who came. It was the people who came back after five years after being blipped were the same age 
when they were snapped out of existence. So you had, like, the people who were still around, you know, obviously they were five years older because they had grown for five years, but the people who were snapped when they came back, they were uh, the same. That's got to cause so much issues, which one cracks me up. The the one part where uh, it's the same Flash, and he's, like, wanting alcohol because he's technically uh, 21 by this point. But they're like, oh, he was flipped, and they take the alcohol away. It just tickled me because I was like, you poor bastard. But no, I, I, enjoy the, I always enjoy the Spider-Man movies, and I just love everybody dealing with the, you know, the death of Tony, and everybody's so upset, uh, Spider-Man's feeling like he needs to live up to that, that the world needs a hero now, that, you know, he doesn't want to be a hero, he just wants to be a normal teenager, it's like he's been through some shit, he got blipped, he got snapped, he got disappeared but, you know, it, 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 him coming back and just wanting to be normal and just being like, oh, yeah, we fixed all the problems. We don't need heroes now. You know, we're good. And then you have Mysterio that's basically, like, basically putting him back into the business by trying to get him out of the business. But uh, really enjoyed it. I'm trying to find – I. I'm sorry if I'm not getting my point across. I've been talking for like four hours every single night, and then I worked all day yesterday, so I feel like my mouth is tired. So I'm sorry if I'm not quite getting it across, but I really did enjoy Spider-Man. I always enjoy the Spider-Man movies. Uh, There was something else I was going to say about the movie. Oh, besides Jake Gyllenhaal being incredibly, incredibly good-looking and a wonderful actor. That's about all I got for you. I love Spider-Man Far From Home. Do you know that there are people out there who, like, hate Tom Holland's Spider-Man because they don't like, uh, you know, him being, say, younger or his attachment to Tony Stark or the fact that it's, like, I loved the original Spider-Man movies that Sam Raimi directed, but it's like it's almost as if the Sam Raimi fans are just as bad as the Zack Snyder fans with being so loyal to a director that they can't enjoy anything by anyone else. Like, that's just how I feel about it. Because then, like, like, Spider-Man Far From Home (laughs) did amazing. I think it's, like, what the first, like, the highest, earning uh you know spider-man movie ever it made like over a billion dollars um i loved it i love that you had peter parker just not wanting to be really spider-man at the moment or just at least wanting like a vacation right because he does put on the costume and does things for charity for you know the victims and the victim's family of the snap but you have to think about he His last memory was being snapped out of existence, and then he gets snapped back. He has to fight up against Thanos and his massive army, sees his mentor, Tony Stark, die, and it's like, you can imagine that he just wants to be a kid in high school, and he wants to go on vacation. And, of course, Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio walks through the front door, and I'm like, God damn it. Um... I, oof, first of all, that costume, like, still to this day, like, remember when we had a top 10 
superhero costume um, podcast, and I was like, that Mysterio costume is like the best Marvel costume that I've ever seen. It was so perfect. And I love, I love like the little things with uh, Mysterio, right? When freaking uh, Tom, not Tom, Peter Parker goes to shake his hand like the second time they meet, and he goes to call him Quentin Beck, and Mysterio instantly goes, Mysterio, my name's Mysterio, and like looks at him all intensely, but then like smiles, and it's like, ooh, like you can see like the little bits of like unhinged. It's a little unhinged. Yeah, and how everything was all like a freaking illusion you know, illusion, which is crazy. Um, that one scene in the in the bar when he gets the glasses from Peter Parker and you slowly start seeing the room kind of like deteriorating and he's like, It was so easy and everyone's like cheering and I was like, Holy shit and that like really intense like illusion scene where it kept going, like remember you thought at some point it had you know that he was talking to Nick Fury but no it kept going that itself was part of the illusion that was so good Um, Peter's like really uh, emotional moment with Happy was great as well you know when Happy tells Peter that because Peter's looking up so much to Tony still even when Tony's dead and saying how he just doesn't want to like disappoint like Tony's legacy and happy telling him like Tony was a mess like he's not as perfect as you thought he was he's he was a mess and it's okay you can be a mess too and I was like this is so beautiful like you know Aunt May I know that you said it was like a freaking a summer fling but happy and you needed to be together you know what I'm saying so I loved all of that. I loved the final fight um, between Mysterio and Peter. And I have to say that the only thing that I disliked was that they freaking killed Mysterio. I'm like, can they stop killing these Marvel villains after one movie? You're really I know. They got to give us some longevity. Yeah, freaking. You know what happens for every death? They They sacrifice, like, a revival of Loki. Yeah, that's what it is. We had to, I like that one. It's like we have to um balance it out. So in order to keep the Loki around, we just have to kill every single oh, villain. Oh, that so comes what you're saying you. so what you're saying is perfectly balanced as all things should be. <laughs> things should be, yes, exactly, exactly. Um but I, I love Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio. I thought he was one of the better villains. Um and I would have loved to see him come back. Like, okay, tell me when you saw that end credit scene, right? You thought that, like, oh, okay, his his uh, his identity is going to be sealed, right? It's going to be good. And then at the end, when it's like the Spider-Man, Peter Parker, and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I was like, and then they left it at that when the whole thing was Sony and Spider-Man was going oh, on and Marvel, and I was like, that's how they're going to end it. This is how it uh, happened? Apparently, um, I saw this recently, like literally like a, few, uh, like a few days ago, that Tom Holland was on Jimmy Kimmel, right? And he said that he like emailed Bob Iger, who's the head of Disney, right? And thanked because, you know, the MCU, Marvel, is owned by Disney, right? And oh. 
he pretty much like sent an email like thanking him for like the past five years and how much they have meant to him being a part of this, blah, blah, blah. And that apparently he got tipsy and called Bob Iger crying to him saying that he really just felt like it was all coming to an end. And apparently, and Bob Iger did say like a month prior to that, that Tom Holland had a huge part in the decision for Disney to renegotiate with Sony to get everything back together. Oh, wait, wait, Tom Holland cried to Bob Iger? Yes, uh, Tom Holland said during his, during his like, I do Jimmy Kimmel show that he like cried to Bob Iger. I'm like, this is adorable. Well, come on, how much stuff would be on the table, right? The fallout of, you know, Mysterio, um, you know, Vulture is still alive. And the thing is, is that there was still a third Spider-Man in Sony's contract. So Sony was going to make a Spider-Man, but it couldn't be connected at all to the MCU. And then the director for the previous two Spider-Men wasn't going to be the director for the third one. It was just going to be, like, so weird. It didn't make any sense at all. So I'm glad that everyone stopped being shitty and decided that the fans deserve the third one, which is another thing that I saw people bitching about. Oh, the fans, you know, such a bully mentality. It's like, yes, we're the ones who pay for these movies, and we want to see what we want to see. No one wants to see a Sony-only Spider-Man that doesn't connect it all to the MCU. Sony has been used. great at movies in a long time. No, they haven't. It's the, I didn't mind Venom, but even I can sit there and say it wasn't a strong movie. Like, yeah. hopefully hopefully the second one will be better because you have uh, Andy Serkis actually coming to direct, and He's a great actor and director, so hopefully he'll be moving in a better direction. But, you know, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Like, how Sony had, like, the balls, uh, that was going to fail. I'm sorry. Like, I know that people say, like, oh, well, you would have seen it anyway. It's like, yeah, people would have seen it, but I don't – I doubt that it would have been as good they as what lived in we the it would have lived in the shadows, and there would be so much that they wouldn't be able to even touch upon. No Tony, no anything like that. That's, that's just ridiculous. So hopefully in the third Spider-Man, now that it's back in Marvel's court, we can actually see uh, Vulture come back, Michael Keaton as Vulture. I that's love Michael awesome. Keaton. I didn't know he well, was Mr. I didn't know he was Jack Frost. I think that was what it was, right? Jack Frost, yes, where he was yes. the snowman. <laughs> Was he Jack Frost in the good one or the bad one? Because, like, I feel like they called it the same thing. There was, like, a good Jack Frost. He was the good one. He was the The good one. one I think he dies and, like, gets reincarnated as the snowman. Let me see. That's a terrible Uh, afterlife. Oh, it was like as a touring musician clinging to dreams of stardom, aging rocker Jack Frost never had much time for his wife, Gabby, and young son, Charlie. A year after Jack's tragic death in a car accident on Christmas Day, Charlie plays a mournful tune on his father's harmonica, and he comes back. I'm glad that we had this moment to talk about that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you you're you're welcome. No, I'm just saying that's how bad it was, but it was also good. Yeah. 
Well, you know, Michael Keaton has some winners and he has some losers at the same time. But I am hoping that in the third Spider-Man, Michael Keaton comes back as Vulture. Because that was a rumor for a little bit with um, Far From Home. That was a rumor that he was supposed to come back. Well, you know, to me, I always thought that they were trying to set up for, like, something, like, much bigger. Um, You know, this, like, the whole onslaught of all these villains. But who knows? Who knows? But, Brittany, I love you putting down Spider-Man Far From Home. It is certainly, like, one of my favorite Spider-Man movies. I love Tom Holland. I love Happy in it. I loved freaking Marissa Tomei in it, and I loved Jake Gyllenhaal in it. So it was a fantastic movie, and hopefully in the third one, Flash gets better parents. But anyway, let's move on. Um, I'm going to hit the number three slot. Um, Let me look at my list right now see what I want to do here, just because, like, there were so many, like, Stories, and I know what your other one is going to be, so I'm not going to take it. Don't worry. Um, thank I'm actually you, going. To, <laughs> I'm actually going to take another movie that I just saw recently, and a movie that pretty much might be a contender for the Oscars. No, it's not The Irishman. Um, good movie, just very very long. Um, but I'm going to, and it's another Adam Driver movie. So I'm going to pick Marriage Story. Have you heard of this movie at all, Brittany? No. The only thing I know is that you said uh, Adam Driver is in it, right? Yeah. Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are in it, right? And they play this married couple who's going through a divorce. Um, Scarlett Johansson plays Nicole. Adam Driver plays Charlie. Uh, Charlie is a theater director, Nicole is an actress, and the movie starts with the two of them having to, like, write down everything that they love about each other, but they're going through a separation, and it is really, like, hard-hitting, and I can imagine that anyone who is, say, a child of divorce would probably see a lot of themselves in this movie as well, because it's strange because they don't necessarily hate each other um and they've been with each other for 10 years so there's they they know each other right uh, they know each other inside and out and everything that they do has in their lives has been so ingrained with the other person that now that they're separating it's like they're even doing that together they're talking about it they're sitting down, they're still going on, say, like, vacation with each other, they're, like, talking, blah, 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 and then it's, like, as it slowly starts becoming, say, a reality, then it's, like, all these, like, nasty things about each other are coming out, um, and they're trying to resist it, but at the same point, it's, like, so you have them living in New York. And then you have Nicole, who is originally from L.A., and once the divorce starts, she moves back to L.A. with her parents, and it all comes out where she moved from L.A. to New York to be with Charlie, but, you know, she had this, like, amazing career possibly in L.A., but she gave it up to be with Charlie, to be in his theater, Um, and she's, like, putting out how she, you know, 
in the past 10 years, she's not really ever lived for herself. Everything has been for Charlie. And you're sitting there like, wow, Charlie sounds like an asshole, a selfish prick, because everything is about him, you know, his, his company, his this, his that, his career. They're in New York, you know, even at some point, even while they're going through the divorce, he says, like, oh, I like your hair longer. Why is it so short? You know, and it's like, who cares? You guys are divorcing. But then you see on Charlie's side how, like, hard everything is for him because he wants to stay in New York, but Nicole took the kid with her, and he wants to see his kid, and he wants to keep everything together and he doesn't want to do this with lawyers and he just wants to work everything out and why is everything being so difficult but then it's like neither of them can agree on stuff it's just very intense um and like a lot of ugliness comes out while they're doing this but again they're like they're so ingrained in each other's lives like Nicole's mother absolutely loves Charlie and like Nicole having to like tell her mother you can't be friends with Charlie anymore like we're going through a divorce and she's like oh but really like you know and like all of this um, sounds like my mother yeah and like even at some point he goes to like LA to visit um so that they could do the divorce proceedings and Nicole's like oh so where are you going to stay while you're here and he's like oh I guess I didn't think about that because he thought he was going to stay with her. Oh, no. You know, and it's like all these, it's just, it was like really intense. And like throughout the movie, you sit there and you're like, these two really still love each other. But then at the same time, you're like, these two really aren't compatible for each other. It's like they were forcing themselves to be with each other just because they loved each other, which I know is like, you know, in relationships, you love someone and that's why you are with them. But in the movie at some point, it's like really obvious that it's like, these are two totally different people who want two totally different things. Um, and neither one is willing to budge. So at some point, like love is not enough. Um, and then having to deal with like the child and the child, like, you know, getting frustrated with having to go in between like New York and LA and blah, blah, blah. And just, it's so much, it's so intense. Um, and I think that certainly both Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson deserve Oscar nominations for this movie because both of them were absolutely, like, intense and spectacular. There's at some point where, like, there's one scene where everything starts off civil. Like, they're both just kind of, like, sitting there, like, talking, and they're kind of, like, being, like, really civil about it and even kind of, like, joking about how ridiculous their lawyers are, blah, blah, blah. And then it's just, like snowballs into this like insanely intense fight that you're like holy shit I can't believe I'm like witnessing this right now right you feel like you're witnessing someone's marriage fall apart oh it was so intense like what they were saying to each other and then like them instantly like regretting what they say to each other and even comforting each other in that moment it's just really like Wow. So Marriage Story is definitely going to be my number three insertion for this uh, for this top ten. You need to at least watch the trailer. It's really good. Oh, I feel like I feel like even hearing about it just like hurt my heart. I feel like it's well, yeah. one of those movies that just like 
it's kind of like how we talked about the, the Lenny Bruce thing about how it just stuck in my chest because I was like, oh, you know, just the thought of it makes me hurt. I feel like this is what this movie does to me. I just think that anyone who thinks that Scarlett Johansson isn't a good actress should see this movie because she was really good in it. And I know that she makes some asinine comments every once in a while, but she's a good actress, and she just did it really well. Um, Laura Dern is in it. And you know who's even in it who's really good? Freaking Ray Liotta. Like, Ray Liotta plays Adam Driver's um, lawyer, and he is great in this movie. Like, he's the intense lawyer where, like, uh, Nicole's lawyer then is like, holy shit, like, Charlie just got this lawyer. This means the fucking gloves are coming off. And it's like, whoa. Like, things are getting intense now. It's one of those things where they can no longer kind of just, like, hide their heads in the sand and be like, no, we're not getting divorced. It's like, no, you guys are getting a divorce. And it's almost like nothing's stopping this. So you just got to go through it. And everyone, like, keeps reminding them, like, throughout the movie, like, this will pass. Like, this will be over. But for right now, it's going to be how it is, and it's going to be ugly. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that gets me really quick on the point about uh, Scarlett Johansson. You know, you talking about how you know, you know, she makes some comments sometimes, but you know, she's a great actress. And I think that's one thing that's hard lately, especially with like people being like cancel culture, is that we expect these people to like these human beings to like live this morally perfect life, but then when we sit there. And think about even our immediate friends and family. Would if would they meet the criteria of being that morally perfect person that you know that they would survive the scrutiny of like the media? And so that's one thing. It's like don't get me wrong. People like Bill Cosby, uh, everything that came out around him. Yeah, you know. But like you know, get rid of him. Obviously, send him to jail. But I think that is the hard thing that it's like people can't even make, you know, obtuse comments now without people being like, well, they're an awful person and they just are a shit human being and that they deserve to have no career. And I'm like, geez, it's like, you know, not everybody's perfect. Some people make some stupid ass mistakes, but that doesn't mean they need to be like homeless over it. Geez. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that you don't necessarily need to like her as, say, a person, right? But yeah. you can't deny that she's a good actress. Like, okay, what you told me, say, a few weeks ago about Robert De Niro and his comments about vaccination. I yeah. didn't like it, and it certainly, like, made me look at him a different way, but he's a fantastic actor. Nothing's going to stop that. I'm never going to be like, I don't want to see a movie with Robert De Niro because of that. Um, Same thing with, say, Jessica Biel, who's another actress who made some asinine comments about vaccinations. Like, vaccinate your fucking kids. Okay, guys, let's go with that one. But um, I I think that Jessica Biel is a good actress, and I'm not going to take that away from her. Um, My biggest problem is that And again, I know that Scarlett Johansson has made some really asinine comments, and I'm not going to take that away or lessen them or say that she was right in any sort of way. But my problem is is that Scarlett Johansson gets canceled more 
than, say, someone like Michael Jackson, who I know is dead, but people to this day defend him even though there were an insane number of accusations saying that he was a child molester. And people are still, but people will sit there and go, well, separate the artist from the person. I mean, the artist from their, you know, their talents, their music. I'm like, okay, we'll separate the actress from, you know, her asinine comments. <laughs> like, if we're going to have that, if, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, you know, quick point is like, you know, men get it a lot, but I feel like women too get it a lot. But you think about it, R. Kelly, it's taken years, years for him to finally be in any kind of like retribution for like the crimes he's committed. You know, uh, the, uh, what was her name? Aaliyah? You know, they found that, yeah, he uh, forged some paperwork to illegally marry her at the age of 15. Or, you know, and people, like, stood up. There's a whole Boondocks episode over how people, like, stood up for him. And, like, oh, you know, oh, I would have loved if he peed on me. You know, that sort of stuff. It's like, what? Or, like, uh, Chris Brown beating Rihanna. You know, he's still big. He's done a bunch of shit. But yet someone makes, like, a small comment. And suddenly they're, you know, you know, not to just like downplay what she said. I still think, you know, obviously if you don't like her, don't like her. If you don't want to watch her, don't watch her. But it doesn't mean that you can take away what they've done. It's just kind of interesting uh, how, how cancel culture, as they call it, works. No, and I agree with what you're saying is that, again, like, I'm not sitting here and defending what Scarlett Johansson said. I will sit here and defend her right to say it. Uh, there's a yeah. quote that's like, I may, not, I may not agree with what you have to say, but I will defend to death your right to say it. Um, you know, people are allowed to say what they want to say, but people are also allowed to react to it. So if you don't like her and you don't want to watch her stuff, that's no problem with me um, at all. I uh, am he- neither here nor there about her. I'm not, like, the biggest say fan, but I still think I'm a fan. But going on R. Kelly and Chris Brown, like, you have to watch on Netflix the um, Surviving R. Kelly. Holy shit, it it is so intense. And the fact that that man still has fans who are defending him and saying all those women are lying, and I'm like, Aaliyah really was 50 and he was 27 when he forged the papers for her to marry um, him. And that girl in that P video was 14 years old. And he has still not had any sort of repercussions for that at all. People will defend him to the death. And people, and I saw something actually recently on Twitter about Chris Brown saying, oh, that fight, you know, was, uh, that was mutual. I go, no, it wasn't. Chris Brown didn't walk away with those type of bruises. You know, Chris Brown didn't have any strangle marks on him. His eyes weren't black, and his nose wasn't broken, but Rihanna's was. And I'm not even the biggest fan of Rihanna's music, and I will sit there and say that that woman did not deserve to get beaten as badly, or at all, I'm sorry. that was She did not deserve that at all. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that wasn't just any sort of fight. That was, like, a brawl, and she looks like a punching bag. 
You know what gets me, and and I, I won't take up much time with this because I know we need to move on. But I just, it, I guess I've thought a lot about it. What bothers me is one time when I was working, when I was working out of state, you know, we, uh, me and a bunch of guys were arguing about the R. Kelly thing and Chris Brown thing, and one guy took my side and was like, because they were defending R. Kelly. And I said, he groomed those girls. And they're like, oh, well, they still said yes. And I'm like, you know, it was pretty disgusting conversation. But one guy took my side and was like, yeah, you know, he groomed blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, you know, and then I said, so not Chris Brown. He's like, oh, well, you know, I disagree on that. You know, who like, who hasn't beaten a woman every once in a while? And I was like, I literally don't want That's to speak so with any of you now. Yeah, it That's was a pretty awful conversation. Well, I will say before we move on that, you know, everyone needs to be held to the same standard, right? Because there yeah. are accusations that Amber heard. Um, and, again, there are accusations that Johnny Depp hurt Amber heard. So if that's true, that's disgusting on Johnny Depp's part. But then there are also accusations where Johnny Depp came out and said that Amber Heard was beating the shit out of him. And just because you're a woman doesn't mean that you have any sort of right to beat the shit out of your husband, no matter what. So um, if Amber Heard did that, that's disgusting as well. It goes both ways. We're not sitting here saying, yeah, yeah, no, if Amber Heard really did that, then she too needs to be, you know, culturally canceled, just like any other man would be. So but these are really intense conversations, but my whole thing was that Mare's Story is a great movie, and if you haven't seen it, you should. And I think that, you know, anyone who's gone through, say, like a breakup or a divorce can relate to it, but I think that if you are a kid who was a product of a divorce and saw your parents splitting up, that this would be something that you could really see yourself in. So that is my number three. Brittany, what is your number two? And I think I know what it's going to be, um, but I am sitting here patiently awaiting. I was trying to think of an awful movie I saw this year that I could, like, jokingly say, but I was like, God, I haven't seen very many movies this year. Um, I'm <laughs> going to go with uh, Your Face. Uh, no, uh, I'm going to go with Avengers Endgame. Because this, to me, was, like, the movie of the year. Like, very intense. I didn't care that it was three hours long. I went and bought the tickets, you know, like, the moment I could. I got there to the earliest showing. Like, you just the energy that comes from it. I think that's the thing, too, is that the Avengers movie and the climax of everything that this had been building to was, like, such a hype moment of, like, having everyone together, everybody's excited, uh, just getting to sit down, and it was started out so intense. Like, I I guess what gets me is that Avengers started, you know, the Marvel franchise started with Tony, and the end of the era ended with Tony, and I think that's, like, the biggest takeaway, which obviously, spoiler alert, but, hey, the brothers said that we could talk about it now, so I'm talking about it. But uh, <laughs> but just everything in between. I'm glad that Ant Man got more of like a uh, a spot like this time, and the hurt and healing of Gamora and uh, Nebula, 
and them going through their stuff together. Uh, everybody kind of reeling over. You have Black Widow. You have uh, the Hulk, you know, Bruce Banner, Captain America. Everybody just kind of dealing with the aftermath of these years and feeling like they lost all hope. And then magically, the rat jumps on the machine and brings Ant-Man back. The real MVP of the movie. The real MVP. I like how nobody wants to take a picture with Ant-Man, but literally I don't think anybody would have been able to be brought back if it wasn't for Ant-Man. Like, if you think about it. And what gets me is all it took was like that little bit of knowledge that, hey, I am an age because of this thing that we wouldn't have ever got Tony going, I'll make a time machine, basically, and uh, which is funny in its own right. And how even Tony couldn't believe when it worked, that he just sat there like, holy fuck, I can bring everyone back. But he lost everything. He lost everything. Poor Morgan. And poor Pepper Potts. Well, Pepper oh. Stark? Pepper Stark. Uh, I don't know if they ever got married. They never said that. Um, but, oh, wait. Did they? They were engaged. They did. Anyway. They did in Infinity War. Uh, they did because, remember, uh, Dr. Strange no, goes, they were oh, sorry. Oh, I thought, I thought he said he missed the wedding or something. They were preparing the wedding. But, um, yeah, I always say that I wish that I could erase Endgame from my brain so that I can go back and see it for the first time again, because nothing was more amazing than being a fan for the past 10 years. Um, Cause the first, uh, you know, I, I saw the first Iron Man in theaters, right. Um, yeah. So being like a fan for the past 10 years, going to the theaters, see every single movie that came out. Um, and for this to be the conclusion, it just felt wonderful. I mean, you had everything. You had the beginning where, you know, Thor just, like, so shell-shocked, you know, beheading Thanos. But it really didn't mean anything because at that moment, there was nothing they can do, right? They literally went, like, the five years just feeling like this is it. We just lost everyone. And I'm going to highlight Black Widow a little because her telling – you know, Steve, which I will still always to the end of my day ship Steve and Natasha. Anyway, um, you know, when she tells him, like, I had nothing and I had this family and I will do whatever it takes. And we saw that, like, she literally did whatever it took to get everyone back. Um, and I liked how at first Tony and Steve didn't make up. They still argued. And I'm like, oh, my God, are we going to, like, end this movie with them having never, like, made up with each other. But it was like, no, the two big ones, the two big ones in this, you know, they, they worked together and it all ended with, it. like, this is why Infinity War fails, not the movie, you know, like, their efforts failed because the two of them were separate and they didn't work together. And we saw that when they all came together and worked together, that's when shit succeeded. And as you said, we needed Ant-Man because he in himself, knowing everything about the quantum realm, but I loved how, you know, they were trying and they were kind of messing up and shit. And Tony comes and he's like, so, did you guys turn into babies or something like that? Like, he knew that, like, there was something wrong with, like, Ant-Man's, like, you know, 
uh, formula and shit. And, like, how wonderful that scene was of Tony giving Cass the shield again. And I'm like, oh, God, it's coming all together. I love all of it. I loved when they went back in the past. It was great. Uh, it was so amazing, Steve, going Hail Hydra. <laughs> I love that. That was everything I needed. And getting to see Brock Runlow just, like, to fuck. Oh, yeah. Getting to see Brock Rumlow. I love Ant-Man. Like, you guys didn't know they were bad guys. They look like bad guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, uh, that comment, that's America's ass. <laughs> uh, yes, see, it is. Yes, it is. Getting to see Loki again. Obviously setting up for the Loki series coming out. Um, uh, I'm trying to go quickly here. But, you know, Tony, everything felt like this is a wrap-up, right? Tony getting to finally see his father and talk to his father, something that, you know, he didn't get to do and didn't get to appreciate while his father was still alive. Um, Freaking Thor, as much as we laughed over, oh, Thor, you know, got out of shape. And it's like, no, like the realness of how depressed he was to do that, you know, and him going back and like seeing his mother, you know, and that was so freaking beautiful and intense. I love Rocket being friends with them. What did uh, Natasha say? She's like, I get emails frequently from a raccoon. Amazing. And then, of course, let us talk about the the big three, right? Tony, Cass, and Thor looking at Thanos once he comes back, right? And just, like, knowing that this is going to be an impossible fight. And when Thor goes, let's kill him proper this time, it gets all epic, you know, and his, like, beard freaking, like, you know, braids itself and shit. And I'm like, oh. Um, and then fighting against him. Like, I get chills from that whole thing of, like, Thanos. And I know I'm rambling, Brittany. Please forgive me. But I freak out over this, like, frequently. It's oh, so no. amazing. Like, how epic it was to see Cap finally wield Mjolnir because we knew that he was worthy in Age of Ultron when he moved it a little and him full on just like I was like this is amazing they just did this for the freaking like uh, the the fans like the way I freaked out in the theater I was like oh my god he's literally like fighting with Mjolnir and or even going I knew it and I was like we all knew it (laughs) we all knew it I saw one thing that still cracks me up at the end of Thor Ragnarok. You don't need the hammer, blah, blah, blah. You're, you know, are you the god of hammers? And then as soon as Thor gets the chance, I'm going to get the hammer hammer. back. (laughs) Well, I just loved it. It was like wrapping up a century, you know. Um, Not a century, a decade, my bad. But, um, and then (laughs) that scene that scene where Cap is like facing off against Thanos and his army alone is very a beautifully cinematic like scene, very like Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. And then finally hearing like that static and you're like, what's going on? Like what's going on? And then hearing Sam go on your left. <gasps> what? <laughs> what? Oh. And cause you know their comms were all still linked and it was like everything I needed in life. Oh, when they all start opening and you realize they oh. just have a fucking army uh T'Challa's people coming. Oh my god, I was oh. like, they have an army of highly trained warriors. 
all of them, you know, they're doing their, like, you know, their their battle cry because, you know, at first it's, like, quiet, you know, when you first see T'Challa and Suri and Okie, like, walking out, right? And then just seeing all of the portals. You saw Valkyrie, her fucking Pegasus, come out with all the fucking Asgardian soldiers, all of uh, Doctor Strange's people. I love that when, when he goes, what a strange thing. He was like, he was like, is there anyone else? And, and Wong is like, there's not enough for you. <laughs> like, right? Love, like, freaking, uh, then the Guardian's coming and, like, Spider-Man's swinging out and, was, and he hugs Tony and you see, oh, my God. I'm going to keep going. That whole scene. Oh, uh, when Tony holds him, because, you know, he kept saying, he, like, that wasn't a hug. That wasn't a hug. And then it's like, Tony, like, hugging him so hard. Oh, and then when Cap finally goes, Avengers, assemble. Oh, my God. It's like an Avengers song. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Like, I love that. And even Pepper, like, in her armor, that was badass. I like, love her was- suit. I wanted to cosplay that if it wasn't probably fucking expensive as shiz. I like how like, I was censored crazy. shit, but I didn't censor the f bomb. But still, Pepper Pot, it was sleek. It was sleek as hell. Everyone was on point. I loved Ant Man and the Wasp being reunited. The fucking van. In the middle of the battlefield, and like, what did like the, uh, Valkyrie say? She was like, "Anyone looking for?" Oh no, Cap was like, "Anyone looking for a shitty van or something like that?" And Valkyrie's like, "You're not gonna like where it is." And Peter, right, like, right. And Peter introducing himself to Valkyrie. Hi, my name is Peter. And I'm like, "You're so adorable. Stop it. Why are you adorable in the middle of a battlefield?" Like, the right, right. Sorry, I'm that looking at Pepper's suit now, and it's so fucking good. It was really good. I was like, she's badass right now. Like, I love it. And that whole thing, like, I loved, I'm going on and on. Two more things, Brittany. I loved Wanda. Like, how powerful Scarlet Witch is, where she was like, you took everything from me. I don't know who you are. I you will. And you're just like, I don't even know who you are. And I'm like, ooh. Ooh, ooh. Um, and then at some point where, during the battle, because, you know, in Infinity War, we had Thor's epic entrance. And I did like Captain Marvel's entrance, where, where Tony's like, what are they shooting at? And you just see Captain Marvel, and she destroys the entire ship, and Thanos is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> right, right. Thanos was done with life at that point. And I'm sorry, one last thing, Brittany. Um, all the man babies can stop crying because that all-female scene was badass, all right? I don't know how you're going to make it there. It's okay. Not alone or something, whatever you're saying. They all, like, even, Gamora doesn't even know who any of these people are. This is a oh, yeah, she's like, I'm from for it. And, but she's going for her and Nebula and shit. Like, oh, I do feel bad that Peter Quill, like, she doesn't know who he is, but he's, like, still heartbroken, and she, like, needs him, and I'm like, aw, poor Quill. I don't know why. I love this shit. I know. Quill did everything wrong, though. He did not. I, you know what? I'm sorry. I will still defend him to the death. Yeah, I will 
you know, who can't reach the freaking lock, and you're like, oh, my God, like, you know, is he going to kill him? Like, everything about it. Did he kill freaking Zazie Beast's character? Like, what is going on? In yeah, movie? did he kill her? I always wonder. I always wonder, because when you find out she never, like, they never had a relationship uh, when he, like, runs into Thomas Wayne, everything. Oh, my God. I could talk forever. The, the, the movie was so wonderfully done, and I'm probably one of the only people I don't want it to have a sequel. It was perfect the way it was, the way that it ended, um, everything. Joaquin Phoenix did a fantastic job. Like, I love when he says to his therapist, says to his therapist, he's like, it's like you're not even listening. And I'm sure that is something that so many people who go and seek help feel like with their therapist and the fact that it was cut, right? Like that's why he couldn't see her anymore is because, you know, that program was cut and that's the commentary on this, you know, country and our, you know, we, we talk about people who have mental illnesses, right? And we're like, oh, you know, how couldn't we see this coming when something bad happens, you know? And it's like, because our country doesn't, want to help anyone with mental illnesses, but then we are so quick to blame mental illness when something happens. So that's why I love the Joker. I'm going to stop talking now, Brittany, so you can tell me what you thought of Joker. It's one of those few movies that me and you got to see together, and I remember us just like, what the fuck? As we're like looking at one another, like, what just happened? You know, us gripping arms, like, what? Well, just there was, happened. Wasn't there, wasn't there a, a point where the two of us were just like, when he was like walking and it's like you could feel like the intensity. Oh my God. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I just like, I love, I'm, I remember too, because there was that guy that was sitting to the next of us that was just like, what? And his commentary <laughs> was pretty funny. But uh, I loved it. I thought it was really great. It was it was disturbing because a lot of people, I, you know, even us were like, oh, maybe finally a Joker that maybe could be romanticized a little bit. And then it was like, no, he's terrifying. He's scary. There is no uh, like, oh, maybe, you know, he's going to be like Deadpool, like an anti-hero in a way. And it's like, nope, they kept him true to nature. I was just so like stunned afterwards that I almost don't want to see it again because it was so like it was scary without being scary does that make sense like it was just powerful it was disturbing because you watched it like you got inside the head of this guy Arthur Fleck and everything with him and you almost felt like dirty and I think that was like the point of the movie I don't think the movie ever made a point in in uh they never made him the hero to me. I never, I never felt yeah. that they were very honest in that. Yes. He's had some really bad shit happen to him, you know, like with his mother and what you find out what like his like father, or the mother's boyfriend did to him, but they never said that what he was doing was okay. And I don't think they ever presented it. It was a good villain, uh, you know, origin story because no one is born inherently evil. It happens. Right. And that's, Something has to happen, but I do think that the movie did a good point in also, though, highlighting what's wrong with how mental illness is treated. Like, if you want to count that as, you know, quote-unquote, like, 
uh, pointing him, like making him like say like the hero. Okay, but it wasn't him. It was just talking about mental illness, and I just think that it did such a good like. Uh, it did such a good. Uh, oh God, I can't even like talk right now. It did re- very commentary? well, I should say. Yeah, in commentary, it was so good. Um, my favorite comment about this movie is uh, when people say, "Oh, everyone thought that the Joker movie was going to inspire incels to take up arms and start like killing people and blowing up shit." When in, in reality, it just inspired everyone to start dancing downstairs. <laughs> uh, like that's the thing is like. I it did a good job of like people almost sided with them until you see what all happens because of and that like oh Bruce Wayne is his father and then you're like no he's crazy he's hallucinating yeah. it oh, you know I love it's that. Uh, yeah and it's like or you know Bruce's parents getting killed uh like uh, I mean I meant Thomas Wayne not Bruce Wayne uh, the, uh, Thomas Wayne and all that but then Bruce Wayne's parents getting killed and it's like in the destruction it's bringing and just like the horrific nature of it you realize neither ways were a good way of going about this yeah exactly it was showing essentially that um, that like the consequences. I think, that, I, I think that anyone who romanticized, say, Joker throughout the movie, then saw that how wrong that was because of what then he eventually did and then what his movement inspired. So I'm sorry. There's someone like apparently in the parking lot wanting to blast Machata right now. So thank you. Yeah. I'm ending my show right now, and this is what's happening. But anyway, um, I love the Joker. I think that is fantastic. I certainly hope that it at least gets an Oscar nod and that if Joker itself doesn't win an Oscar, that Joaquin Phoenix wins an Oscar because then he will be the second Joker actor to win an Oscar for his performance as the Joker. So that is it for our list for the top 10 movies in 2019. Brittany, I look forward to us uh, coming back and doing, say, maybe the top ten worst movies in 2000. I do, too. <laughs> I we got to end it on a bad new note, right? Exactly, exactly. That's how we roll here. But, um, Brittany, while we have, like, about two minutes left, uh, why don't you promote yourself and let everyone know what we can expect from you? going to say, you can always find me on Twitter at IttyBittyBrit0. Because, and as I explain every time, changed it to that from my last name because I started streaming on Twitch. If you like seeing someone fail at scary and hard games, come give me a watch at Itty Bitty Brit on Twitch. As Tia says, it's called a, being a streamer on Twitch, but Tia likes calling it, uh, what'd you say, a Twitcher? Twitcher. A Twitcher. <laughs> a Twitcher, which is funny because I heard Jeffree Star call it that the other day, and I laughed so hard. But, yeah, if you want to come see me, that's where you can find me. Excellent. Awesome. And as for me, you can find me um, on Twitter and Instagram at Tia Favey. I have no problem using my last name out there. But uh, you can find me there. Uh, also, you can go to geekvibesnation.com to look at all of our social media, all of the amazing content that we have. We provide um, 
articles, news, fun stuff, podcasts, uh, plenty of my top tens. And I actually have my review for the third season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel coming out. So make sure you keep an eye out on that. And I just think that there were so many great movies in 2019. I certainly can't wait for 2020 to see what that brings. Cough, cough, Black Widow movie. But (laughs) as always, it has been so much fun doing this with you. And I will catch you next week for our next top 10. It was great seeing you. Bye. Bye.